You're listening to Tiny Home Tours, a podcast that celebrates all things tiny living. We're your hosts, Allison, Chris, and Loren. Join us as we sit down with nomads and tiny home dwellers to discover why they went tiny, the lessons they've learned, and inspire you to take the leap. Hi guys, this is Allie from Tiny Home Tours. I am at Satya Creative on Instagram. And today I'm sitting down with Alaska. Can you introduce yourself, please, and tell us where to find you? Yes, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Alaska. I am known online, though, as the Tiny House Concierge. Uh, my Instagram is at Tiny House Concierge. My YouTube channel is the Tiny House Concierge. And my website is www.tinyhouseconcierge.com. Amazing. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate you sitting down with us today. Um, I think it's really cool the way you want to kind of help and usher people into tiny home living because it can be quite an adjustment and there are a lot of things to look out for. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I am a tiny help desk. <laughs> um, so jumping in, um, it seems that everyone comes to tiny living in an interesting way, um, but I absolutely love your story. There's definitely like an eat, pray, love aspect to it. So what ultimately... <laughs> What ultimately happened in your life that led you to tiny living? You know, it was kind of, it was a series of like small earthquakes until I finally just cracked. Um, it was, it was a lot of things over the course of time. Um, I think the, the first moment that I had was actually sitting in my English class when I was 14 and I was given a career aptitude test. And <laughs> that was the first moment that it occurred to me that my that school was in pursuit of work and, and holding a job. And I, it's not that I didn't want to work, but work, meaningful work and a job are two different things to me. And kind of somewhere in the back of my head, I had been thinking that as soon as I finish school, then I will be free to spend my life living. And to me, that was the ultimate gratitude was to spend my day in ways I found meaningful, spend my time with people that were important to me. And it it was a gratitude thing. And, and so that moment in English class was like, oh, wait, as soon as I finish school, I'm going to have a job. And that job is going to be even longer hours and is going to be indoors and is going to be in pursuit of money and may or may not have the meaning with it that I was looking for. And my soul just sank into the floor. I, I, I took that test and it turned out that according to test makers of whoever, um, that my time on planet earth was best spent as a data systems analyst for an HR company. It got that specific. <laughs> it, yeah, I was like, what is that? Uh, to this day, I don't know. Um, so I, I checked the little box that marked artist and, and kind of went on with my life and, um, yeah, as time progressed, I, I realized I wanted to be a writer. I kind of leaned into that that creative thing. And then around the time I was, you know, approaching 30, it started to occur to me that maybe I had a job at a gym and I was making it work, but just barely, like just barely. I would be slowly going into debt with, you know, life happening over time, you know, needing new cars or whatever, you know, whatever. And 
So it started to occur to me that maybe this like idea that I would write the next bestseller was like not a great retirement plan. Like <laughs> still hope to, but you know what, just in case, like let's also tackle, tackle life. And so I started to get really, really scared around that time because I was seeing my coworkers who were in their seventies um, and were saying things like, I'm almost done paying off the house. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, you're in your seventies. Like what is, and now granted this was Southern California, but still, um, I knew my half of the rent at that time was 56% of my take-home pay. Like I knew there was like, this was a track to nowhere. And so when I get stressed out, um, I make spreadsheets. That is like (laughs) what makes me feel better. So yeah. So I, I started making, I did a deep dive of my life. I went into like, I looked at how I spent time. I looked at how I spent money and I looked at how I spent uh, my energy. So I started tracking for my time. I would set the timer on my phone and then I would just write down, like I'd set it for like 45 minutes or something. I would just write down everything that I had done in those 45 minutes. Um, I started tracking like the objects that I owned. I made a spreadsheet in which I put my car, Windex, half-eaten jars of mayonnaise, hair ties, my furniture, like everything that I owned. And I tracked how it came into my life, uh, what it cost me to come into my life and what the resale value, the current resale value was. And that project taught me so much about like, how the system was feeding itself. You know, I realized how many things on that list I was buying because I didn't have the time to attend to um, to handle things myself. You know, I was buying, I was buying like Band-Aids for a bullet wound, basically. I was buying energy drinks to get me through the day. You know, I was buying Windex, which is so much more expensive than white vinegar and does the same thing. Like I, you know, it was just, I was looking at this list. I'm like, all of this is in pursuit. All of me getting up and going to work and spending my, my time, which I found the most valuable was in pursuit of buying like Windex. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm just like, and I know it's more than Windex, but, but it was so cluttered with items that I didn't care about that. I was just like, there has got to be a better way. Um, so then I started tracking the money aspect of things and for an entire year, uh, my fiance and I, at the time we, uh, we tracked our spending, including cash for a year, like down to the penny. We were super diligent about it. And it turned out that, um, like with the objects, I was spending a lot of money on things because I didn't have the emotional bandwidth or the time or the skill sets to deal with them myself. So I was outsourcing small tasks, like fixing the garbage disposal, you know, like maybe it was something I could have YouTube university my way through, but I, I didn't have the time. I didn't have the bandwidth. Like I just couldn't deal. I was too stressed out. I couldn't deal with it. And so I would hire somebody and that somebody would inevitably charge me like a day and a half worth of my own work. And so I kind of started to rethink things. I was like, well, how much? Um, you know, how much is my job 
costing me? And I think we normally think of jobs as something that, um, something that earns us money. But when I started doing the math on what my job was costing me, I started to look at things a lot differently. Uh, I realized, you know, I was driving about half an hour each way to work. So I thought I was working an eight hour day, but when you added the commute, I was actually working a nine hour day. And then I realized I had an unpaid half hour lunch. So I was actually working a nine and a half hour day. And then I realized that because I was in customer service, you know, I was spending an hour getting shellacked in the morning in a way that I don't now that I work from home. And so I was actually working a 10 and a half hour day. And then I thought I was working. So I was not making, I was making less than $15 an hour. I was not making nearly the money that I thought I was, first of all. And second of all, that money, you know, I hadn't accounted, I'd accounted for taxes, but I hadn't accounted for wear and tear on my car, gas. Um, because I was in a management position, there were all these little expectations, you know, that that weren't required, but were kind of like still expected that I, you know, buy things for my team or contribute to birthday things or, or like whatever, you know, pizza day, potlucks. And it's like, I realized by the end of the day, like I was earning like, I don't know, like seven or $8 an hour. And I was like, well, if I was home full time, could I save seven or $8 an hour? And that's kind of when like the framework really started to fall away quickly. It was um, like, I could no longer just go to this job and pretend that everything was going to be okay. I, I had to find another way. I ended up doing a lot of um, deep dive research. I ended up getting a real estate license. I ended up studying real estate investment. I ended up studying retirement, specifically how people retire early. I started looking at geographical arbitrage where you live in one country uh, where the and, but earn in a different currency that works in your favor. So you're earning in a higher currency and then spending in a in a currency that, that works to your advantage. I looked at um, different kinds of lifestyles. I looked at tiny house living. I looked at RV life. I looked at splitting a bedroom with people. I looked at buying a triplex, renting out two units, living in the third. I, like, I looked at every possible thing I could think of. Um, and eventually I, I just kind of had that moment where I couldn't take it one more day. And it took about a month to do everything, but I ended up uh, quitting my job. I walked away from my new real estate business. I'd started a real estate business somewhere in there. Um, I ended my marriage. I put my stuff in storage. I moved to Alaska. Um, and then I just kind of started over from scratch. And three years later, I live in a tiny house. <laughs> I feel like that was a really long story, but um, there's a pretty love aspect. <laughs> there we go. Um, there we go. You, I, I do understand what you're saying though. Once you're there's an there's an element of like conceptually understanding that it almost sometimes feels like when we're going to work, especially in a job that we don't enjoy, you're working to die, it feels like sometimes. And then there's an element of your soul truly understanding that. And when you feel it in your soul, I think everyone who has 
gone on to live some kind of non-traditional life, whether they've renovated a bus or living in a van or a tiny house, their soul has understood that. And when your soul understands that you can't un-understand it. And at that point you have to do something about it. You literally have no choice or you'll die that day. Like it actually feels like you'll die that day. Um, so I understand that as well because I did something similar. Yeah. <laughs> My soul understood it. And I think a lot of people who are living on the road or living nomadically or living non-traditionally and feeling, you know, sometimes even judged by families and family and friends, their soul understood something that um, the people who are passing judgment just, just haven't. And so, um, you know, it's, it's not like a less than more than difference. It's just like their soul came to an understanding and we're all going to come to different understandings, but their soul came to that understanding. And so it inspired them to live super differently than, than what is expected of us. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's beautiful. And when you finally did decide on living tiny, um, what specifically brought you to a tiny home? I know you purchased used. A lot of people are on a budget and we get written to, I think it's our, one of our number one questions on the tiny home tours YouTube page is definitely around cost and especially older people, um, who are living on social security and a very tight budget. Um, they're looking at that as an option as well. So what would you say are the pros and cons of that choice rather than, you know, going DIY, which a lot of older people also can't do just because of mobility issues or hiring a builder, which obviously really jacks up the price when you're buying new. Yeah. So I think buying secondhand can be an excellent choice. Um, there's still a due diligence process there and it will look a little bit different than if you DIY or if you go with a builder. Uh, but the the benefit of secondhand, uh, well, there are a few things. First of all, the house already exists. So something that we're seeing with some, some builders are getting way backed up and, you know, people might be promised a house at one price point or within a certain time frame, but as builders get more and more backed up, as we're having more, you know, shipping issues, like sometimes those promises aren't being delivered quite the way we all envisioned. Um, so buying secondhand, like the house is already here. You can kind of start going tiny, like immediately. And I think that's a benefit that people don't often think about. Um, another benefit is that the house you know, you can get an inspection before you put any money down on the house. Um, if you get a builder to build a house, you're probably going to put a deposit down. And once you give anybody money, it's it's hard to get it back. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's hard to get it back. So if you give the builder money and then the build is not up to, you know, up to snuff when you, when you get that inspection, um, that's, that's tough. You know, and so if you buy secondhand, you you can kind of eliminate that that problem because the house exists. Um, another thing that was cool about buying secondhand is that technically tiny houses depreciate. Well, not technically, tiny houses depreciate because they are not real estate; they are not affixed to land in most cases. Um, however, with the cost of building materials skyrocketing with inflation, with demand, all of these things have driven up the price of tiny homes. So a tiny home might've depreciated like this much, but then its market value has increased this much. So 
in a lot of cases, people can sell tiny homes for more than they paid for them, at least at this point in time. However, most people don't have a background in real estate. Most people are person who are secondhand selling are individuals who outgrew the tiny home or decided to downsize again or whatever. You know, they're not realtors, so they don't understand how to price for the market. So they're pricing based on what they paid and then they're adding depreciation. So the secondhand market, I think people will figure this out, but in the meantime, the secondhand market can be um, a cool place to get a deal on a tiny home. Um, you know, I paid 78,000 for my tiny home. The current cost to rebuild is 125. Um, so that kind of gives you, you know, some, an example of if I was going to sell my tiny home, um, you know, I think the original owners paid 80,000 for the build. And then it was about another 10,000 in transportation and import taxes. Cause it came from Canada. Um, so, but even still, you know, the current cost to rebuild is more than that. So at the secondhand market provides some, some cool avenues, I think for people getting a little bit of a deal and also staying a little bit safer. Um, again, there's still due diligence to be done there, but it provides a little bit more assurance in some ways. Absolutely. It feels similar to a car. We bought our home, you know, brand new from a builder and paid 135. And I think if we were to sell it today, we could probably get 90. But I think mm -hmm. the if we were to sell it today, the person who pays 90 for it, if they were to try and sell in a year or two years, could probably still get 85 for it, maybe 90. So we were the ones essentially like the car who bought it new, drove it off the lot, lost the 30 grand yeah. um, and someone buying used and then maybe attempting to sell used in a couple of years isn't going to take that same hit, I don't think. Um, exactly. which is also smarter because let's say you get into it and decide it's not really your thing. Um, buying used is probably much smarter as well. If you haven't had much time to test out the lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it is a learning curve a little bit. <laughs> There's a learning curve. <laughs> Tell us about the learning curve. Actually, let's go there. What was your learning curve? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was, it was interesting. Well, so the first thing I did when I got into the tiny house, I cried for three days. I could, I was so overwhelmed. It was the first time in my life that I felt like everything was going to be okay. Oh, you were you happy know? crying. I was happy crying. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> to be clear, happy crying. I just, I was so overwhelmed with like, everything is going to be fine. And in a sense, that was true. And in a sense, that was the moment that I kind of started learning the hard way. Because what I learned about tiny homes is that it's very much like a conversation. It's not just, I. this is my home and I get to do whatever I want. I have to live in harmony with the house. And if I try to make my life too big or too complicated or too wasteful, like the house will hit back. Like I I remember like one on my, so on my first day living tiny, I filled up my tiny trash can like a third. On my second day living tiny, I went shopping, bought some stuff for the house that pack had packaging, some of which wasn't recyclable, ended up in the trash, two thirds. On my third day living tiny, I made the tiny house rookie mistake of getting takeout. And I come home and I eat the takeout and I throw it in the trash. And all of a sudden, I, this takeout was like 
a styrofoam thing with two rubber bands on it and then chopsticks and then the spoon and the fork and the knife and the plastic with the little salt and the pepper. And then it had a menu and then it had the little containers of like the soy sauce and the mustard. And then it was put in a plastic bag. And then that plastic bag was put in another plastic bag, like in case it leaked. And then that was put in a paper bag. And then that had a receipt stapled to it. And then I'm like on my way out the door and the guy's like, wait, and I'm like, what? And he's like, you forgot your fortune cookie. (laughs) Oh my God. And at the time I didn't think anything of it, but when I'm after I eat this meal and like put it in the garbage, my drawer in my tiny house, like rockets out and spits trash on the floor. And I'm sitting there like picking bits of rice, like off my bare feet. And I'm like, I I don't think I live like this anymore. Like this is the house being like, we're done. Um, I also had a moment shortly after I moved in where, so I have a, I have a sauna in my bathroom um, which I love, but I made a stupid mistake. I had the AC running and then I was like, I'm going to take a sauna. I turned the sauna on and it, uh, tripped the breaker on my house because I was using too much power. And that's about the only thing that will trip my breaker is using the sauna and the AC at the same time. But when you think about it, like, that just makes sense. Like why have a hot box and a cold box? Like that's dumb. And, <laughs> but again, my house is showing me the boundaries of, of where, where I live and where I don't. Um, when it came Christmas time, I was like, I get to decorate like my first house. I got all excited. I went to the store. I bought a whole bunch of stuff. I come home. I set the stuff on the floor. It immediately fills up my tiny living room. And since I'm so close to it, I can't help but notice. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of plastic involved in these decor items. And wow. I'm going to have to store these things, what, like 50 weeks a year. And I was just like, nope. Like the house was like, we're not doing this. And so I ended up returning it all and um, going to the store and I bought biodegradable Christmas stuff. I actually, I bought these sugar crystals, which I've had since Christmas. No ants, no issues. I bought uh, flowers. I went to my neighbor and asked if I could trim her juniper bushes like some little boughs and I made a mini Christmas tree and I got some bright red apples and candy canes and and when and when the season was done like except for the sugar sticks like everything went in the composting trash and it was like the simplest Christmas of my life it was beautiful um so it's been good they've been good changes but it's been a continuous conversation with the house about how I now live differently Yeah. You've had an interesting learning curve over the last year and a half. Also, you had mentioned something about a water heater and also a gray line issue. So um, we love to hear the pros, but we also want to hear the learnings um, that we won't necessarily call obstacles, just opportunities for growth and learning. (laughs) Opportunities for growth and learning. Absolutely. Well, this was the birth of my YouTube channel, specifically my series entitled Tiny House Meltdowns. Um, I had to start filming them because I was like, if I don't laugh, I will cry right now. Um, and to be clear, it was it was not my builder. It was heated hose companies that were not working in my favor. And also me just user error, not being familiar with um, certain aspects of, of winter 
living, which I should have been. I grew up in Alaska, but like I was a kid, you know, like I, I wasn't an adult dealing with those things. So I just made some, some mistakes, you know, like I was going on a trip for two weeks and I knew my propane was running low, but in my head, I was like, well, I use propane for cooking. I'm not going to be cooking. I'm going on vacation. I'll just replace the tank when I get home because I was in a hurry. And I left. And when I come home two weeks later, my water heater is broken because it, I forgot that my water heater ran on propane. And so it wasn't able to complete the cycle that keeps it warm. And so it froze and then exploded. And, you know, it was just stuff like that. I had three heated hoses split or just crop out electrically. And it was a little bit challenging, but we got through it. I'm still here. I'm going to be so much smarter next winter. I'm looking forward to it. And now you're working on building a new um, place for your gray water to go as well, right? Further from the house. Yeah, I built, I, I built a mulch pit and I did it too close to the house. And so the house was started to like sink regularly and I had to keep jacking it up, which, which is doable. And I learned that I can jack up a house that sounded so impossible to me. And it turns out that, you know, me, just, just little me by myself, like is can jack up my house. And then I'm like, yeah, (laughs) um, it's very empowering to jack up your own tiny house. Uh, however, I've had that empowering experience a lot. And I would like to do it less. So um, we will be moving the gray water. Perfect. Learning. See? Learning. <laughs> yes. Um, so speaking of, you know, the aptitude test and, um, you know, what you wanted and dreamt of being versus what you did for the first, you know, 10, 12 years after getting out of high school, um, something else incredible happened when you moved into the tiny home. It actually provided your dream job for you in a sense. Um, can you share more about that story and how that happened? Yeah. So I, I have had all kinds of jobs. It, it took me a, a while to, to figure out what to do. Um, but I, I remember in that moment with the career aptitude test, I had a single sentence that went through my head and it was, I want to spend my life living. That was the sentence that came through my head. And I, it somehow occurred to me and I didn't know about YouTube or anything like that then. And I was just like, I wonder like it, maybe if I could tell people about it, I could find a way to make a living. Like it was this very vague amorphous idea um, that I kind of forgot about. And over the years, I was a gymnastics coach. I was a chess instructor. I sold vodka. I sold multi-million dollar real estate in California. I was worked at a gym. Like I tried just about everything. And ultimately, um, I realized, you know, living an interesting life is what was important to me and really getting to to see and witness and hear stories and the summation of all of these things um, ended up being like, I, I want to be a writer. That's, that's what I felt most called to was to, to live an interesting story and to hear interesting stories and, and report back. So that's kind of what led me to writing And like I said, I had taken the route of I'm going to get a day job and I'm going to 
you know, stick it out until I write, you know, the next Eat, Pray, Love. That's still the goal. But again, I, I needed another plan. Um, and so looking for a new plan led me to do my deep dive. And that deep dive ultimately led me to a tiny house. And as soon as I moved into a tiny house, people started hiring me to write about my experience of living tiny. Um, and that's actually how I make a significant portion of my income now is writing for various tiny home builders or vendors or, you know, outlets about my tiny living experience. So it kind of came full circle. The house that was supposed to free me so I could afford to be a writer actually gave me something to write about. Um, and that's been very cool. There are endless writing opportunities for tiny living as well. I mean, even, as, you know, I moved into my tiny home when I had two-year-old twins and I reflect back and just think, man, I, I do wish I would have done more with it, more with it at the time, but as a mom to twins, there was so much going on, but I had at least five great stories a day that were not happening for mom, moms of twins in their traditional homes. Um, I still remember, it's like my most priceless moment. Uh, we were potty training on a compost toilet, which I feel like is their best, like a really cool claim to fame for them that they got potty trained on a compost toilet. But one of them is sitting on the compost toilet and they have such cute little heinies that like, they felt scared they were going to fall in when they scooted back all the way. And we had one of the kids seats that goes on the separate, but they didn't find that very comfortable. I wish they put like padding on those or something. So we took it off so that he could sit there for a little while. Cause when you're potty training, they end up sitting on the potty longer than usual. And he climbs off the potty and he has this, he's like naked and just has this look of joy and pride on his face, just staring into the potty. And I come over and I'm like, what are you, what are you staring at? And there is a huge pile of poop in the pee section because of the diverter. <laughs> but he is so proud of himself because he can see it and he's got his hands on his hips and he's like, look. Um, so I wish I would have taken those opportunities to also tell those stories because there really are some great stories. And like you said, if you don't, um, laugh, you cry. So I immediately started laughing and spent the next hour digging poop out of the pee area. <laughs> oh, oh my God. <laughs> and we talk about poop a lot more than regular people. Like it's a normal thing as well. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> top three questions people ask, where do you park? How much was your house? And what do you do with the poop? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like no big thing. You just talk about your poop and it's no big thing. Yeah. <laughs> In addition to writing, you've pursued another career that I know you're really passionate about and Tiny Living has led you to as the tiny home concierge. Um, can you explain how you help people attain this dream of tiny living and just how it improves their journey as someone who's actively pursuing this lifestyle but maybe doesn't know a lot about it? Yes, absolutely. Well, the, the simplest way to think of it is I am a tiny help desk. If you think of a, a concierge, like, you know what you like and what your interests are, but you're in a new place and you don't necessarily know how to find your avenue. So you go to the concierge and the concierge, it's their business to do research, to know everybody in town and to kind of hear your story, hear what you're about and direct you efficiently and in a way that's going to be enjoyable and, and hopefully fun. And so when I went tiny, um, I realized that there was, there was no help. There were 
builders building tiny houses, but there was nobody to help me connect the dots. I would call an inspection person and they would be like, what's a tiny house? I would call a realtor and they would be like, I don't want, you know, cause I was looking at land at different areas. So I called another realtor and they had no idea what a tiny house was, or they were like, that's personal property. We don't deal with it. And I called the city. I was, I was having to explain at every step of the way, what a tiny house was, what I needed their help with. Like I was having to help them do their job. And fortunately I had a real estate license. So I knew, you know, what pieces needed to be, um, attended to, but I realized that if, if I hadn't had that real estate background, um, I may not have thought to get an inspection on a house. And if I had called an inspector and they told me we don't do that, I wouldn't have thought to be like, look, this is a new industry and bribe them with cheeseburgers, which is what I ultimately did. Um, I, the, when I came to time to buy the house, the owners actually didn't have a title in their name. The title was still in the name of the builders. So again, if I hadn't had a real estate license, I would have bought the house and it would have created a cloud on the title. Um, but I knew that I had to get that straightened out first. So I kind of realized in going through this process that there was a lot of places to make very expensive mistakes that could really hurt people down the line. And that I weirdly happened to have a collection of skill sets um, between my, my real estate experience and my experience of going tiny to help people put the pieces together um, to make the process more smooth. And um, yeah, so this lifestyle has just meant so much to me um, that I wanted to share that. And I also realized in doing the research that I did before I kind of quit my life and went tiny, I realized that if housing's our biggest expense, that's our biggest opportunity to change our lives. That's our biggest playing piece. If you're worried about not being able to retire, if you're worried about not being able to get out of debt, if you're worried about not being able to live the life that you envision, chances are you could fix it if you had enough money. Like most things, a lot of things can be fixed with money. And if not everything, but a lot of things. And if money is the obstacle and housing is the most expensive piece of your life, like don't worry about lattes, focus on your housing. And so I realized that housing was the most powerful piece of the puzzle that most people were holding. And so I was like, well, if I can help people fix that part and help them do it in a way that's safe and that's efficient and hopefully enjoyable, then I just feel like that's going to be the biggest, you know, we, we all have our little corner of the world to change. And I think um, that felt like my biggest leverage point to kind of make a difference. Cause I want everyone to experience this. I am having so much fun. I, I truly did not believe that this level of peace was possible. I thought it was a lie. I really believe that if people knew it was real, I think they would change their lives radically and tomorrow. Um, I don't think a tiny house is right for everyone, excuse me, for everyone. Um, but I think a tiny house or the tiny house lifestyle, I think we all have a lot to live, to learn from that. So yeah, so I created a tiny help desk and now people can come to me. You tell me your story. I will listen and help you translate that into what needs to happen next. And then I will put you in touch with whoever makes sense. Yeah, that's really powerful because 
I think it's really important to acknowledge that you only know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know. And since you don't know it, it's not like you're going to come to an understanding around it automatically. You do need to find the right resources and the right people in order to keep from making those costly mistakes. I remember back in 2017, when we started, when we hired our builder, um, there was nothing, no information. And I found this one story that was so terrifying to me. These people had invested everything they had and were building, yeah, like $130,000, $140,000 tiny home. They go to pick it up from the builder and they had put it on a double axle and they were just way, way overweight. And they were in this litigation then with the builder and the tiny home had never left its spot. And they had put so much money into it. You have to give the builder money as they're building so they were, you know, the only payment they hadn't made was the very last payment, but they had paid almost, you know, the entire house up to that point and it could not be moved. Um, so yes. your friend, Lindsay, actually, who I did a podcast with recently, the 10 house lady, I think they had a similar issue. Somehow they were able to put on another axle. It was still a very costly, I think close to 10 grand issue, but for whatever reason, this home couldn't be fixed in that way. And um, I don't know whatever happened with that litigation, but it went on for a very long time. And those are just mistakes that you, they didn't, they didn't know to ask what, right. how right. much weight are you putting on this trailer? Because it's just something that they had never, they'd never lived on wheels before. And you really just right. don't know what you don't know. Right. And it, and the part about that, that kills me is that most people are so stuck in the cycle. You know, they don't have the emotional bandwidth to figure it out because they have to be at work at 8 a.m. the next day. They have kids, they have bills coming up like right now. And so people get stuck in a system that's like this. And so they they never have the time to do the extensive research that doing this well is. And so that's that's why I created this job. I was like, okay, well, I have the time. I, I was lucky enough to be able to break out. So I have the time now to do that research. How can I condense it so that I just, give it to people. They don't have to go find it. They just have to know that they have a trusted resource. So it's, it's free on YouTube or I could work with people one-on-one, -on -one, but the point is I try to condense that research process for people so that they just can, can escape and go live their best tiny life. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me today with chatting and telling your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was really, really fun. I'm, I'm so excited to be on Tiny Home Tours. <laughs> Yay! Today's episode is brought to you by the Tiny Home Tours Coloring Book. Meet 20 real-life nomads and alternative space dwellers and color images of the interior and exterior of their homes, plus passion pages filled with their favorite things. The Tiny Home Tours Coloring Book can be purchased at tinyhometours.com backslash coloring dash book or at the link provided in the show notes. Free shipping to the continental United States on all orders over $17.99. This episode has been a Tiny Home Tours production. If you're a fan, please rate and review us wherever you listen, share with your friends, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening and see you next time.